Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to the program. Well, of course, Britney Spears has suddenly been plunged into the news because of her new book that's out. And of course, in that book is embedded a story about her abortion. And of course, we hear all the media hype and the sound bites coming out of the media and of course, the liberal press and their opinion and this and that. But I thought it'd be better if we took a deep dive into it today with an expert, someone who has been an experienced person with abortion recovery for decades. Her name is Dr. Teresa Burke. She's the founder of Rachel's Vineyard, which is a ministry of Priest for Life, and of course, a great friend of mine. So Teresa, welcome to the program. Hi, Janet. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for coming. And of course, uh, Dr. Teresa, tell us just quickly, how long ago did you found Rachel's Vineyard? Oh, uh, 38 years ago. So this 38 is years ago. Work. And of course, you're a, a licensed therapist, a psychologist. And Rachel's Vineyard is in about, oh, 75 countries, translated into over 25 languages. And if there's nothing wrong with abortion, why do we have all these people coming every month on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat getting healing? So now we're going to switch gears just for a minute, because as you know, all the hype now is about Britney Spears. But unfortunately, like I just said, most of the hype is secular commentary, blah, blah, blah. And they're not really unpacking what was really there in her book and what she was saying and really making connections. So I'm going to ask you to help us understand the whole story from the point of not a reporter or, you know, someone who's an abortion supporter, but someone who has studied this issue for so many years and is an experienced psychologist. So. Dr. Burke, <laughs> can you uh, put on your uh, professional hat right now uh, as, as a therapist and tell us, unpack for us what, what's going on with that story in her book? Well, actually, as a specialist in post-abortion trauma, and I've written extensively about traumatic reenactment, and that's how when the, tra the traumatic experience is not processed, and it dysregulates the nervous system to the degree that people don't even feel safe in their own bodies. It's a big problem when you have that legacy of trauma living in the body and activated all the time. So what we see with Brit Brittany is almost like a textbook of the, the trauma, which we could really say began in her childhood with a father who was alcoholic and parents who were constantly fighting. And so there she learned that men are not dependable, um, but didn't really learn that lesson per se, but then wanted to have a relationship with a man as a way to validate her. So her falling in love with Justin Timberlake, her, her first love, who she thought she would be married to for forever and wanting to um, make it better than she grew up 
So even with her sister, Jamie Lee, she wanted to make her life better because they, they were very poor when Brittany was little and she didn't have a lot of things. And so whatever Jamie wanted, Brittany would buy it for her. So just like in the attempt to resolve traumatic experiences, you put yourself in situations where you're trying to make it better or fix it or do it over with a different outcome that's different than the trauma. But a lot of times things don't go the way they're planned because of all the triggers that are involved. So that's what I'll be talking about in future as we unpack this book. I'll come on again in the future, but um, it's really about the trauma and the shocking experience of an abortion within a woman's body and all that that means to her, to her identity as a woman, interesting, the book is The Woman in Me. And as I was reading it, I was seeing the baby in me and how that baby stayed alive. Um, as she identified with the baby, she, she said that she started to feel like a little girl. She called herself a ghost child, Brittany. So she's identifying and feeling she had no voice. All these themes that we hear again and again on every Rachel's Vineyard retreat, where people not only lose their identity, they lose their capacity to develop um, there's sort of like a de developmental squashing of the woman within trying to emerge. And then you identify with the helpless baby. So Teresa, she had, then we discovered from her book, a chemical abortion, which we know that's, that's kind of like a do it yourself. You take the pills. So you're the abortionist, you take the pills and from your home becomes the abortion clinic, right? So what did she say specifically? Did she say much about that? But what are you picking up from her trauma that this was really like a self-induced uh, killing of her baby, right? Well, let's let Brittany tell us and then we can talk about what she's actually saying here. Um, she knew that Justin was cheating on her um, and she heard it from friends who said she was cheating on he was cheating on her with dancers and groupies and the tabloids often caught him and there was something about that that she just disconnected from we could say she said i let it go but she didn't really react to it like so many things from her childhood on which was kind of difficult in the home, but she lived in a dream world. We could say that Brittany learned to dissociate and that dissociative experience of being able to just kick the can down the road, not pay attention to what that meant for her relationship with him, her love with him, that you can kind of live in a fantasy world. And she said she did as a child. And here she is again, kind of entering a fantasy world that, that he'll be faithful. And um, apparently they they were always accusing her of the things they did, which is classic gaslighting, right? And mm -hmm. um, and and she said she only cheated once. She confessed it right away. He forgave <clears throat> her like it was some big thing when he had had many girls, many women. Um, but that's it was so important. That relationship was so important. And we see this a lot with women that the meaning that they attach because we're very relational creatures, you know, um, the meaning that we attach to relationships is. And, and attachments is so significant for us. But she said, um, I became pregnant with Justin's baby and I kind of understood it, if he didn't want to become a father, I didn't feel like I had much of a choice. So she didn't feel like she has a choice because what do women do? They want to take care of their man. They want to please them. And she also says, "I and I've heard this a million times. This is where Brittany is not unlike, she might have a lot of money and fame, but she's like the heart of every woman. 
um, she cares. I didn't want to push him into something that he didn't want. Our relationship was way too important for that. And sadly, in order to save, save the relationship, a lot of women feel that it's best to sacrifice their child. And at the end of the day, in some 90% of relationships, they, they stop, they fail. And so the very reason that they, that they submitted to an unwanted abortion was to keep the relationship going, to keep the man happy. And yet, where are the feelings and and the desires and the very heart of the yearning for a child like Brittany had. She was still playing with dolls, you know? She was young and um, and loved children. She said, we also decided on something that I thought was wrong. And here she is submitting to something she doesn't even agree with. And these are all risk factors for trauma, as you know. And she said, we decided not to go to a hospital to have the abortion. She said it was important that no one find out about the pregnancy or abortion, which meant doing everything at home. So this idea, which is another, it's its a secret. Many women keep their abortions a secret. And because they do, um, most of the people around them have no clue that they're undergoing this procedure, let alone doing it alone, let alone her alone in her home with just, just in there. And, um, and uh, a friend of hers called Felicia. And Felicia was sort of like the older woman who stayed with her in New York City to look after her needs, kind of like an assistant, and also as a protector because she was alone in the big city as a teenager. So Felice, Felicia had been um, someone who, who was with her through much of her life when her parents were home in Louisiana and she was in the right. big city or she was on tour. It's sort of like that caretaker, almost no, like Teresa, a- We know from the testimonies of women who've had chemical abortions, who've come through healing, they talk about the trauma. First of all, the guilt is all on them. They can't blame the doctor, in, like in a surgical abortion or, or the clinic, but now they take the pill, right? And the abortion clinic, wherever they get the pills, they tell them, oh, it's no big deal. It's like a little heavy period, you'll be fine. And then they find themselves having excruciating pain. I mean, I have testimonies where women have said it's worse than labor, those who have had a baby, and then go through a chemical abortion. More painful than childbirth, they bled, and of course, a lot of them saw their baby in the toilet or whatever, you know, in their bathroom. They didn't know what to do, they panicked. Some people flushed the baby, or some people scoop it out and put it in a box and bury it in their yard. I mean, the stories, as you know, are just horrific. They so are. imagine, this is what Brittany experienced in her home with Justin, and keeping it a secret, and going through this trauma of a yeah. abortion, right? Let me let me unpack it for you, Janet. Um, uh, she said, "I was told it might hurt a little bit, but you'll be fine." And on the appointed day, only with Justin and Felicia there, I took the little pills. Soon, I started having excruciating cramps. I went to the bathroom and stayed there for hours, lying on the floor, sobbing and screaming. This becomes a theme that she repeats many times later. Um, they should have numbed me with something. I thought I wanted some kind of anesthesia. I wanted to go to the doctor. I was so scared. I lay there wondering if I was going to die. And we see this fear and this mm -hmm. wondering of death repeated again and again. When I tell you it was painful, I can't begin to describe it. The pain was unbelievable. I went down to the ground on my knees 
holding the toilet for a long time. I could not move. And now, Janet, we're going to hear this uh, idea of not being able to move. Um, and that is part of a traumatic experience. It's called freeze. It's a survivor mode of trauma, not being able to move. Paralysis, actual physical paralysis and also mutinous, which I'll talk about in a second. To this day, she says, it was one of the most agonizing things I ever experienced in my life. They did not take me to the hospital. And this is another problem. Um, when the bleeding gets excessive or there's a complication, people are not going to go to a hospital. Um, and there's some studies that show higher rates. I'll, I'll I'll mention them in a minute of um, emergency room visits, but a lot of people don't go because of the shame and because they're trying to keep it secret. Justin came into the bathroom and he laid on the floor with me. At one point he thought maybe music might help. He's trying to fix it, right? And so he got his guitar and laid there with me strumming it. I kept crying and sobbing until it was all over. It took hours and I don't even remember when it ended. But I do, 20 years later, remember the pain of it and the fear. After that, I was messed up for quite a while, especially because I still loved Justin so much. It was insane how much I loved him. And for me, it was unfortunate. And I'm going to call this attachment is now become a trauma bond, which a lot of people, when you go through something horrible together, you feel like that that you have to be with them. You have to be with them. They shared this awful thing with me. For the guy though, all he wanted to do was get away. And I'm gonna to have to read one of his books, dive a little into him to see what songs came out later because it's all gonna be reflected in the art. He became very cruel to her. Um, and when he saw her in public and when they saw each other for the first time after this, he did try for a little bit, but sharing that experience had to do a number on him, just like it did with um, Steven Tyler, because he was right. there with um, her abortion after he forced it on her. And then later he's saying, Jesus, what did I do? And it, it haunted him. He mentioned about it in his biography. Um, so uh, she said, we, I, I should have seen the breakup coming, but I didn't. He was standoffish. He used me as ammunition for his record and devastated. She said, I could not speak for months. I was, she said, maybe I was clinically in shock. That's exactly what she was. She was in a state of shock, a state of high trauma, a survivor mode, just shutting down everything. He even came to um, visit her, but once, um, but she was devastated. She said, I could barely speak at all. All I could do was cry. I laid in bed, stared at the ceiling. I felt like I was suffocating. I couldn't breathe. This is a full on panic, full on panic attack when he came in um, to visit. He wrote her a long letter, she said, and one of the, the letter ended with the words, I can't breathe without you. He wrote, but he wasn't acting that way. She just realized he's a good writer and he'd probably use that for some song. Um, and she said, I was in a trance. Again, this is the trauma trance. I could not talk. She speaks about this and it happened many other times. She's had tour dates um, in her contract still and she had to finish the tour. And then like so many women, oh my gosh, Janet, how many times I hear that I got up from, uh, you know, I got up from the table 
And I walked out as if nothing had changed, going through the motions like a robot, but dead inside. She describes mm -hmm. this very well at many different places. Um, but she was aware of angry looking men that began with her father and then the disapproval of Justin, all the paparazzi that was constantly chained, chained, um, I'm sorry, chasing her. And she said, I really just needed to rest, but she had to keep pushing herself, pushing herself, moving on. And that's what a lot of people do through workaholism or they just push themselves into the numbing of drugs and alcohol. She had a period of that, but um, she really wasn't a drug user. She may have experimented a few times, but that wasn't her thing. Everyone around, all the men around, just, you know, uh, Kevin Federline, all of them, they all smoke pot regularly. But here she was criticized for being drunk. And she said, I kept doing what any 20 year old would be doing, like when she was out um, drinking. But she said that they sort of framed her and accused her of that. That's this is her story, you know, that. Um, and she had no support of her family because her parents had just split up. They had just gotten a divorce after years of fighting and bickering and his drunkenness. And now her mom is self-medicating and very, very depressed. Her mom's going through her own trauma. So she's not around. This is where she says, I felt like a ghost child. No one even saw me. And it's true that she had a ghost child that no one even saw and no one could see that she was heartbroken over all that. She said, I felt like my mom was living on another planet. And um, she was alone going through the breakup with Justin. Uh, she said, I saw that I did not fit in anymore anywhere because she went home to visit. Her mom's totally unavailable. Her sister was acting, she called her really bratty and just, you know, not not present to anything she was going through. And again, here she's living with the secret without any support. And that's, Janet, that's one of the greatest tragedies when, right. when this is a secret thing. Uh, any other, you know, even if you get a hysterectomy, people are there with meals. Or if you have infertility, people can know if you tell well, them. Even you know. if you have a miscarriage, you know what I mean? Yeah. People know you had a miscarriage and they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. And how you doing? How you feeling? But in this case, it was like a shame. You know what I mean? It's a secret. And, um, it's a secret. And, and you know what I think the problem is, too? Out there in the public, though, politically, it's a big football about, oh, this is women's health, and they're fighting for how good abortion is, and it's good for women. They have to have access to it. And then you have someone like Brittany, and we know so many women every day are going through this. Yeah. Doesn't, that, doesn't that hype from the political world about how wonderful abortion is and it's good health care. Doesn't that in a psychological way well, drive them deeper into this trauma because everyone else is saying it's good, good, good. And you know, it's bad, bad, bad inside. Well, it's, you're exactly right. It is, it's a, such a profound trauma and it's not tended to, there's no solve for the wound. Um, her work was, she escaped into her work, but begrudgingly, she wanted to just rest and recover. That was her yearning to just be left alone by the media, to stop being um, held up as some, you know, because a lot of parents hated her because she dressed skimpy and was sexualizing and their daughters were like liking her. So she had criticism from all ends. And then the critics were going after her motherhood when it turns into a custody trial with the next boyfriend who comes on the scene. Um, 
later and he had two children. She claimed she didn't even know he had two children. He was pregnant with one. When they were dating, his girlfriend was about to give birth. So here's another guy that's not doesn't have a good track record of being right. emotionally available. And this will be her theme. She's going to be hooking up with men that are not emotionally available or fearful of, of them, you know. Um, but she said, I felt started to feel like a child again as I became more and more vulnerable. So she's more and more powerless. This is the themes. This is a traumatic theme. I'm powerless. I have no voice. I can't stand up for myself, for my needs, my, my preferences, my desires. So this is where my body, my choice is completely out the window. And my body, my baby, there's a split between that. My body, my baby. And no one, no one even knows that she lost a baby, which was something she didn't want to do. This is the tragedy of abortion and the tragedy of not recognizing the symptoms. And um, when when all this is going on and she shaved her head and all that, because everyone knew Brittany from the from the Mickey Mouse days to, you know, as her her career sort of launched off and she became very famous very quickly, although mm -hmm. she worked for it her whole life. Um, but she had no control over her life as time goes on. And this is the spiraling and it worsened with time. It didn't improve with time. And that's where intervention is so helpful. Um, we always hear that on retreats when a woman comes much older from the young ones who are coming. I wish I had had the courage. I wish something like this had been around or I knew about it um, 30 years ago because I would have stopped shaming myself. I, would, I could have reclaimed my voice, my belief in myself, my dignity my honor and all those things were stripped. She had she had experience after experience where she was so deeply shamed. She said, I was utterly humiliated, thing after thing, humiliated. And she didn't know how to stand up and fight back at all, at all. That's where she really lost herself. And that's what trauma does. It separates us from the deepest part of ourself, our values, our sense of um, that worth, self-worth, and it's replaced by shame and, and just embarrassment and, and um, always apologizing. She was always apologizing and trying to do better, striving harder and harder to make up for. And then um, we can also say the same thing with the replacement, wanting to be pregnant. She had a five-month-old um, and a 17-month-old when Kevin Federline refused to allow her to see the children, he boxed her out. He wouldn't open the door for her to come. Um, she went to try to see him in the workspace, and then he started working on custody. Well, wouldn't that be a smart thing to do? Get full custody of these kids uh, and get the father of the year award which is so ironic as the best father when he was a philanderer, he had another family. In fact, now he, he, had, he has two, two children with Char, Char Jackson. He had two with Brittany really rolling in the child support payments monthly uh, grandiose scale of uh, how to care for these kids. Cause the mom had a lot of money. Brittany had yeah. a lot of money and now he has two kids with another woman. So, yeah. you know, and yet so, Teresa, I mean, she had the abortion. She kept it a secret. What do you think? Why now did she you think in this book, she went into such detail about something that she wanted to keep so secret? Like, has she gotten to a better place? Does she indicate? Because I haven't read the whole book like you have. But did she get some sort of help? Or like, what do you think is going on here that, you know, something so secret she writes about in this book now? 
Well, she got, she got help by getting out of the conservatorship and experiencing freedom. And you know, when someone has freedom for the first time in 13 years, because she was under control, what she ate, she was forced into being sterilized by a IUD. And then she couldn't go to a doctor to have it removed. So all this yearning and all these years, she's 40 now, um, but all these years, and she recently just had a miscarriage and her marriage broke up in the before the book um, came out. So that part wasn't in the book. So the book didn't tell the next tragedy. So I think there's still, there's still a lot of pain there and certainly a, a yearning because she really wanted a baby and she was separated from her children and it just devastated her. And she said that pe she wanted her story to be told. And that's why I love the book because all these other people were manipulating the narrative, you know, yeah. with their version of the facts, which were very distorted, were disputed many times, and they were making her look like crazy, which happens to so many women. They feel like they're completely insane because they don't know anybody else who spiraled out because that's secret. You're more likely to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder or called bipolar. And I've taught about this for years with traumatic reenactment because you might go on a, a drunken binge just to like forget everything. And then you're gonna go down into a deep depression and then she's got to pump herself up for a tour. But she was actually taking um, some kind of a protein energy supplement that her father thought was drugs. And he sent her to rehab for this. And he would retaliate if she said, I'm not going to go on tour. Or I'm going to, you know, not do what you want. And then he would punish her by throwing her in a psych hospital again and again and demanding right. she have treatment. But this is the crazy making. He was the addict, alcoholic, you know, taking tons and tons of her money, hiring all his friends, living on the hog when she had a very meager thing and couldn't a meager like a monthly allowance. She couldn't even take her friends out for a party after they did a good job. I don't mean friends like the crew because um, her credit card would be declined. He was bugging uh, her. Talk about intrusiveness into the most private, personal, bugging her phone, the room, um, being able to watch her conversations. And he had all of her money to hire security 24-7 and come into put her into a psych hospital with a SWAT team, for God's sake. This is traumatic. So all the mental health treatment was much more traumatizing, being put on lithium that made her feel dead inside. Uh, mm -hmm. It was just so devaluing. There's no trauma-informed care here. And she wanted people to know what was going on in the background when she shaved her head. It was it was grief and it was her way to rebel by removing the thing, what the thing that makes you look sexual. And actually she said it felt like religious, but mm -hmm. that, you know, grieving. And I, I, I spoke about this years ago when all women were having breast cancer, there were other women shaving their head after their abortions and wearing black all the time. This is a sign of mourning. It's a symbol of mourning. It feels religious because how else can she express it? With abortion, there's no funerals, cards, flowers. There's no closure. There's no grieving. Right. There's no support of friends. And this is when the grief becomes disenfranchised. It's when it becomes complicated PTSD, not just PTSD, but CPTSD. And there's right. a, a brand new category in the DSM for amend, uh, five amended, which is called prolonged grieving disorder. So ah. this is 
this is the new diagnosis, Janet, of post-abortion trauma. Um, it really a is. A grieving disorder, a.k.a. Yeah. abortion it, trauma. It but um, Lisa, just so everyone understands, <clears throat> had, had we could get Brittany to a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, in just a few minutes, explain how a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, because people hear Rachel's Vineyard retreat, but how could that help stop this reenactment and stop this, this feeling of the way she is about herself to move forward? What, what happens on those retreats that can help not just Brittany, but so many women that it still helps every day all over the world? Explain a little bit about that. Well, she would have had a coalition of support of uh, people who understood exactly what she had gone through. She would have been able to grieve and reconnect with her baby on a spiritual level. She would have been able to reconcile that. She would have been able to feel forgiven and reclaim her true identity, which is where when you're healed, what other people say or how they attack your motherhood. And um, there were reporters who were just brazen in the things that they would ask her about that were so triggering. Um, she couldn't speak or she would just be devastated inside. So she was continually being gutted, continually feeling the pain of her lost motherhood again and again. And then in the custody, when she lost custody of the children and couldn't see him and she's being boxed out as if she's so horrible, she's so bad, she's so disturbed. And it was actually the separation from all the children that was so disturbing to her. And she would have gotten support by friend. And one friend did say something, um, if I can remember what it was, uh, when she cut her hair and shaved her head, um, one woman said, if someone took my baby away from me, I would have done more than get a haircut. Get a haircut. She said, I would have burned the city to the ground. Brittany, just hearing that, it was somehow validating to her. And that's the validation of women and men who've suffered the loss of a child through abortion, when they get together and talk about how they betrayed themselves, it wouldn't have taken her 20 years to find her voice in that. She would have found it sooner. She would have been comforted. She would have had, she would have had people. And, you know, she kind of got, she was empowered a little bit, but they were, she was in for drug addiction, which she didn't have and alcoholism, which she wasn't drinking anymore. She wasn't allowed to drink, but she was sent to rehab again. They kept sending her to rehab. Right. But um, I think a group of AA, an AA group, uh, the women there, she heard all the terrible, horrible things that they went through. And here they were trying to reclaim their lives. And that gave her a model of something to do. And I think Madonna was actually somebody who also came in and must have sensed and we know Madonna, Madonna had her losses <laughs> and then adopted a ton of children later um and uh that Madonna was calling the shots and doesn't take crap from anybody and she didn't know how to do that all she knew how to do was please and appease everybody and lots of fawning so that she could prove her value so when this experience strips her of all her value and everything that gives her life meaning it's a real mountain to climb alone to reclaim that and right. um, all the abuses and then finally like everybody would lie to her like say you can't get a lawyer if, if and her father would always threaten her so under the threat he kept control and this is the same dynamic in it you know an abusive marriage and that's where people can the, you can go through something really terrible but the trauma bonding's there and the fears there and you're afraid to leave you're afraid to bust out of it the only way she could bust out of it was by a little rebellion here or there or 
you know, know. then she started posting crazy dances on Instagram just because she wanted to feel free, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> So I want people who are watching right now to understand while we're discussing Britney Spears, there might be a Britney Spears in your family, among your friends, um, who someone might be having some of those the symptoms that you were describing. And I want them to understand that, yes, it could be that they had that abortion or maybe, you know, they had an abortion and you see them, th this behavior go, oh, my gosh, what Britney went through, my cousin's doing, my cousin behaves like that. What do they do? How can, <clears throat> if you recognize someone who needs help, how can we get them to a Rachel's Virginia retreat? What would you suggest? Well, I think a lot of people don't know that help's available. More now we do because of the internet, but, you know, letting people know that they deserve to heal, that they've, if they've gone through a rough time or asking them, have you have you experienced this, a pregnancy loss? I like to say that instead of abortion, abortion can be so triggering or, you know, you're not the same girl that, that I grew up with. And I can see that you're so sad about something. I'm here for you, no matter what it is. If you, you know, and then just name a couple things, no matter what it is, I will never judge you. I'm here for you. And right. um, I think a little psychoeducation, like a lot of a miscarriage can call, cause that. A breakup with a boyfriend, um, cheating on somebody that you love, mm -hmm. like because all those things are ways that people act out and keep secrets. Right. So I think dismantling the secret, you just want to make a safe environment so that um, your friend or your loved one or your cousin or your sister or your daughter knows that no matter what it is, abort and you just name the things the worst things you can think of there's nothing that would make me lose my respect for for you and i love you i want you to heal let's find a program we have a program for sexual abuse if that's the thing that happened that a lot of people keep secret in childhood or right. as a young adult abortion right. um you know whatever it is because when you see that level of fear, you know there's trauma because the body is still reacting in the present as if there's still the threat. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because- Well, Teresa, I mean, as always, you are like the expert about this. And this will not be, brothers and sisters, the only conversation we have about this. Like I said, unfortunately, the book about Britney Spears has shown a bright light on that. And because of all the gibberish that's out there, I think it's very important for us to have an expert unpack it a little bit. Uh, but we do want to pray for Brittany that she does find peace uh, and that uh, all those that are listening too will understand that you might know someone who has had, as you said, a pregnancy loss and we can get them to a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, hopefully real soon. Uh, they can go to abortionforgiveness.com. Just put in your zip code. And there's even an international tab and you can see wherever you are, there will be a Rachel's Vineyard Retreat program for you. And we hope you recommend it so they can get the help, right, Teresa, that we know you've trained so many people all over the world that are out there every month giving retreats and the doors are open, aren't they, for healing, right? Yes. And these are women and men who've had abortions themselves. So that's the other encouraging thing. You see that people get over this. They can heal and they can... that piece of their story can become a magnificent vehicle to help other people. Right. Well, 
Thank you, Dr. Burke, as always, for your expertise. It's so appreciated. And I hope that we've uh, shown a good light here on, you know, Brittany's story, how people can learn from that story and bring others to healing. So thanks for joining me today. All right. God bless y'all. Bye-bye. Well, brothers and sisters, you heard, there's the expert, Dr. Teresa Burke of Rachel's Vineyard, and we will have her back again. There's a lot more to talk about this, but just remember, you probably all know someone who's had an abortion, and I want to send you out right now from this program as ambassadors for healing. Go encourage your pastor to put in their church bulletin, hurting from an abortion, there's help available. Go to abortionforgiveness.com. Keep that website handy. Write it down, abortionforgiveness.com, and spread the word because you know what? You can stop the trauma, You and you could stop repeat abortions. And remember, there are some lives that only you're going to be able to save, okay? So it's up to you. Thanks, and God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.